0: This week on the Sportlight Podcast, we were joined by Dr. Sheldon Martin. He gave some insights on how sports could be used as a tool to aid in the development of young people. This is a podcast that could be shared with anyone who coaches youth sports. The insights that Dr. Martin gives us in this podcast will really help them to promote mental wellness and social development in their athletes. We hope you enjoy I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for being willing to join us again on the Sportlight Podcast. You're always such a great asset to us and we appreciate your expertise in mental health and wellness. And today we have a discussion that we would like to bring you in on. You and I have had some discussions off camera, of course, but we get asked often to go train coaches like all the coaches at a park and recreation league for a city, for example, and to do some seminars with coaches and we get opportunities to speak with them and parents very, very frequently. And a discussion that we had recently with Ella Ballsted, BYU soccer player. Um, now she's gone on to do some things in her professional career, but I was talking to her, the context of it was, why should we support women's sports? Uh, she's a great advocate for women's sports, and and what she said was that if we view sports as a tool to help people develop, then why would we not want our young women to have that opportunity? I that was first of all that was super powerful comment for advocating for women's sports. But it it got me thinking about sports as a tool to help with development, which is a huge foundation for for our foundation and for what we do as an organization. But there are some things that if we are aware of that our youth and young adults are going through, and we're aware of some of the stages of development, some of the things happening in their life might even help us to use sports more effectively as a tool to help with their mental wellness and social development And so I just wanted to bring you on, since you have such great expertise in those areas, and talk about some of those stages of development, what our youth are going through, what our children are going through, and how sports can aid with them developing in those areas. Would you go through and and talk to us about our youth, what they're going through, and how sports can help and aid in that development? Yes, absolutely.
1: In fact, I love that concept of using sports as a tool, because if you think if sports, the only objective is to get a scholarship or to become a professional athlete, uh, that is too small of a percentage to even engage in the activity. There, There has to be something more, and I think that there is, and it really can be a tool to leverage healthy development. So one framework that is often applied to human development is Eric Erickson's seven stages of psychosocial development. And when we we look at this, uh, there's two stages probably that hit your audience shad more uh, directly than others. And the first stage is between the ages of five and 13. And this framework has what's called a social crisis. It's, it's one thing versus another, right? They feel this or they feel that. They They develop leaning one way or the other. Almost and like a about, conflict
0: that needs to be resolved kind of. Yeah, thing.
1: yeah, uh, uh, that's right. And it's not one experience is going to flip the switch either way, but it's kind of this general feeling that they develop in this stage. And five to 13 is industry versus inferiority. Uh, That's the first one. The second one, uh, the most broad range of being about 13 to 21 is identity versus role confusion. Now, maybe we go through those kind of separately just real quickly, because I think there are real practical things that coaches and parents can do to leverage and and use sports to develop healthily. So, maybe we start with industry and inferiority. Five to yeah. 13. First, turn that one into English for us. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> well, I will do. Uh, meaning, there's a question, and here's the question. Here's the crisis. Here's the conflict. Is does a child? How do they respond to? Am I able and be good at, at something, or do I feel that I'm bad at things? Now, not not bad as a person, but can I can I accomplish tasks? Or, or can I not? And so the, the reason this is such a crucial stage, when we think about five to 13, this is the stage in life where they do have more elements in their life that they do independent of their parent, right? School is right through, starting kindergarten through grade school, they're starting to do more things on their own. And if they're able to accomplish and feel that they can accomplish and kind of navigate their world, they feel industrious. If they start to feel that I cannot move forward in in these elements that I keep being given, they feel inferior and that they're
0: not going to be able to um, kind of meet the tasks of the day. So that's the tension going on. Am I industrious? Can I do stuff on my own? Or am I inferior? Like I'm always dependent upon someone else and I can't do stuff that that's the tension age five to 13. That's right. That's absolutely right. And and interestingly enough, Chad, if you step back from that, really
1: the thing you want them to do is just simply learn that they, they need to grow. Right. So that's why we want them to feel that they're industrious is not because, Oh, they're great at everything. It's
0: that they'll just keep trying and keep pushing because that's, what it leads to is is growth. If I'm understanding correctly, industrious does not necessarily mean that they become perfectly competent at things. But what it means is they start to see that, hey, if I put time and effort into something, I can begin to progress in that area. I can learn to do stuff on my own. It's not necessarily that they have to find what they're great at and stick to it per se at this age. It's just can I learn and grow in areas of my life independent of of other people? Can I can I progress and become industrious? Do I get that correct? Yep, that's exactly right. Sometimes referred to, like in elementary
1: schools, as the "not yet" principle. Right, if they don't get a math problem accurate, oh, not yet. Let's just keep going. Oh, great job, great effort. Let's keep going. Right, if if they start to feel like okay, when I Stick with it. I see success. That is a it's very positive. And success means they can see growth or improvement, not achievement.
0: Right? So So it's not the outcome, it's the process, as we've talked about in previous podcasts. That it's not we aren't talking about they need to get to a certain level and then okay, I'm industrious. Industrious means I I'm learning the process of growth. That's right. That's exactly right. Awesome. So as we move in then, and sports is a tool, one of the many tools, I mean, there's school, there's, you know, there's a lot of different social constructs, sports being one. So so if a coach is saying, okay, I not only want to teach my kids baseball or volleyball or soccer or whatever, but I want to help aid in development. I want sports to be a tool to help them with their mental wellness and social development. What are some ways sports Could be used in this stage the industry versus inferiority stage to help them develop in a healthy way one
1: is i would i would compliment as often as possible the positive things they are doing not made up but the real positive things they're doing even if the achievement is not exactly what they were hoping for let me give you an example especially in practice by the way right especially you have every opportunity you use baseball as an example So uh, a young person is working on ground balls. Uh, They, you might've told them, Hey, you've got to keep your, you know, your, your, your butt down and your glove to get down. So even if the ball is, you know, going right through their legs, but if they've, if they've worked at doing that, it's a lot better to be able to lead with, Hey, great job. Like you are getting your butt down. Like we talked about awesome. Now, listen, that one, that one kind of just went right through the legs. It's going to happen. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep your eye on the ball, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's this element that we could still build in, like, you are growing. This is really good. That's one thing I would do as a coach or a parent. If you ask them to do something, especially something simple, compliment them on doing that thing, even if the achievement is not uh, what, what they're
0: expecting, you're having them do that. For example, with your example, keep your butt down and and your glove on the ground, you know, they're doing that. The outcome you eventually hope is that they'll successfully fill the ground ball and throw it first and get the guy out and, or the girl out there in softball. And they may not be there yet. They may just be getting their butt down and haven't reached the ultimate outcome for that but compliment the process like great job great job keeping your butt down don't get discouraged you're doing awesome you're going to get this that kind of encouragement instead of always focused on the outcome would would be healthy for development yeah it'd be extremely
1: healthy for development and as adults listening to your podcast we also know that's the greatest way to coach or to parent because everyone is gonna miss a ground ball. We already know that, that's the starting point. There, no one is going to be 100% competent in all those things. So if that's the starting point, then really what we want them to do is to make growth in the areas that they're working on and to keep at it, right? I mean, that's the only thing we, we, we can do because we know that when they do that over a sustained period of time, they'll also get better at the, at the task. Right. And so it, it both leads to them becoming a better athlete, but also to healthier
0: development. So that's both awesome. are yeah. extremely important. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think of, I mean, right now, my daughter, Clara, is learning tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, she decided she wanted to learn tennis. And I find myself, so there's this, sometimes we battle against these different outcomes. There's this tendency at her age to just getting the ball over the net Mm -hmm. is okay you did it you got the ball over the net what that creates is actually where you just kind of lob the ball over the net you know what i mean the ball comes and you can hit it and it lobs over the net the problem with that is eventually if that's the way you play tennis Uh, you play anyone good and they're just going to pound it back at you and and you're going to lose the point. So, so she has to learn start from down low and come up over the ball and the spin to put on the ball. Now in doing that, the irony is right now she gets way more balls in if she would just lob it over the net, Mm -hmm. but she'll never become the tennis player that, you know, could play in high school or something like that. If, if that's the way she's playing. Mm-hmm. So as I watch her and I'm understanding what you're saying, she might go for a longer period, not feeling like she's being successful because the ball's not going over the net, even though she's getting way better at hitting the ball appropriately at the right racket angle at the, the right speed and coming at the right arm angle at everything else. And so if I'm hearing you, even that that aids in development. If I'm sitting there on the other side of the net and every ball is either going into the net over my head or to the side here, but I can be looking at her and saying, great racket angle. You're getting it. You're getting it. Keep it up. Not only will that aid in becoming a better athlete, but that, that helps her feel like she's progressing, that she, that she is industrious, that she puts her mind to something and she, she practices it for hours And she starts to see herself develop in these areas and she starts to feel industrious instead of sports feeling inferior to her. Now, if we look at that, I can see some applications where maybe some ways we react as parents and coaches actually build inferiority into our children if if we act in certain ways. What are some of those ways that a coach or a parent might act? that really do build that feeling of inferior. I can't do anything. I can't, I can't accomplish anything in our children. Any warnings you would give that could lend to that side? Because obviously the stage of development, right? The whole point of it is to resolve that conflict and to feel industrious instead of inferior, Mm -hmm. but, but sports and involvement in sports, if coaches and parents sometimes are approaching it the wrong way. I could see how it can lend to a kid feeling inferior instead of industrious. What What are some of the warnings you would give there?
1: Well, I think the reason that we are so drawn to sports is because of competition. And if competition, and it's fun. If, if competition, if it's a big game. It's almost a 50 50 chance on who's going to win, right? I mean, that, that would be like the, the highlight of a great game is you're not sure who's going to win going into it. That's why we watch, that's why we play. So you think about that. There are so many elements of competition that really are out of our control. Mm-hmm. And that's just built in. That's why we enjoy it. And so, as much as possible, because that's built in as a parent and a coach, I would focus, laser focus as much as we can on the things our athlete can do consistently, right? There are things that they can do and and focus on that because what I've seen often that builds inferiority is they start getting intensity towards things that are not in their control. So they can do a few things to, to... you know to shoot, right? That are in their control, uh, but there's some elements that are out of their control, and they may not make a particular shot, right? And if the focus, I, I've seen people just become almost, you know, really intensified on. Man, you're just, you know, you're just, you're in a slump. You're not making shots. You're not right, and all of a sudden they start to feel that they're not competent that they can't do this thing. But if you can focus on the elements that they do have some control over, they can still develop in a healthy way, uh, again, removing it from achievement. So that's one uh, real gutter I would avoid is don't give a ton of feedback on the elements that that are the reasons we watch sports. It, you know, it could have gone either way.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and And we see that a lot.
0: Yeah. And one of those may even be the outcome of the game, right? If everything or the outcome of the at bat or the outcome of the shot, or sometimes we've talked in previous podcasts that focusing on, on outcomes instead of the process could be one way that we could contribute to our, the youth we coach or our own children feeling inferior because we begin to focus on things that are not within their control. That other team sometimes is just better. That person is just bigger, faster, stronger. And so. Or we hit the ball really hard right at the shortstop. Right. I mean, that just happens, right? That's why we love sports. Right. And so when we focus on those things, outcomes, and let's say there's always those kids in every league that are going to play on a team that don't win a game or that win very few games. So focusing on outcomes like, well, you lost again. Well, you lost again. Or, or a kid who's trying wrestling for the first time, they just go out and they just they are not winning. And if we're hyper focused on winning, then and that's all we're talking about with our with our athlete, then they begin to feel inferior because everyone's just kicking my butt on the wrestling mat. Instead of feeling industrious for learning, man, you are getting so much better at that. You are getting so much stronger. You are lasting so much longer into the match. And and so those are focusing on process builds industry, focusing on outcome or things that aren't always within their control that can build inferiority into, into a youth. Absolutely. So one, maybe other concrete suggestion.
1: So every coach, every parent, they're going to have them do like conditioning, right? There's going to be some type of running or we're going to do that. So build in a very simple task within your conditioning that is associated with the sport that you're playing. And it's fine to complement every single player, right? So you might have them for running, you might have them run to first base and, and practice, you know, where you want them to hit on the bag and, and you know, where they want them to turn so they don't go on to Fair territory. They stay foul. Great. Here's an element where you can compliment every player on your team. Could learn that task, <laughs> and 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 you're just the real objective is you want them to, to run, but the second objective is you can compliment and every single person. Like, hey, you got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. Right. You could choose a rule. At the end of practice, hey, guys, do you know what to do in this situation? Or you could choose a play. Hey, who knows? Great. Do you know that? Do you know that? You could validate. You could go through every single player. Awesome. Well done. We've got it. It That reinforcement is going to make them develop better. It'll make your team better. Uh, I think it'll give them some confidence. And it's okay to choose things that you know they already know and just highlight it
0: so that they gain some confidence. Awesome. I love that idea of using conditioning and building simple tasks into the conditioning to catch them winning mm-hmm. so that you can compliment, and make them feel like they're they're growing, they're industrious, they're learning. That's awesome. That's a great wow. suggestion. So would it be okay if we move to the next mm-hmm. stage here, that the teenage stage yep. and and what changes What is the dilemma or the conflict in that stage? So, the big question here is, who am I, right? Identity versus
1: role confusion. We all could kind of smile a little bit when we think of ourselves as teenagers or maybe teenagers listening to your podcast. It's okay, but we all had kind of this, who am I? And we've seen teenagers one week, oh, I'm a they, they, they really label themselves, right? Oh, I'm, I'm a skater. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a rocker. Oh, I'm a, I'm a football player. And I'm a dancer. And it starts to consume <laughs> who they are. And then sometimes it can change the next week, right? And, and their clothing could change because of it. There's this uh, literal question of, of who am I? It is the only stage in development where peer and peer groups outside of their family rise to almost equal importance as their family now it'll diminish again kind of in the next stage and and those closest relationships will become primary again but just think about that in the teenage years their social groups and peer groups will rise to the same level of their family here's what i would say allow the athletes to have identity with the team with the concept with what you're engaged in we all know that some will play more than others at that stage right 13 to 20 i mean that's that's high school that that age some are going to play more they'll start to see who's who might be good enough to play at the next level who's starting to recognize it's ending with high school or it's ending at this stage, that's okay. Let them form an identity with the team. Even if it feels like it's a little extreme for uh, an individual, meaning like, oh man, all they talk about is this thing. um, It's okay. Because what they're really connecting with is that they do fit in this world in organizations outside their family. Okay, so think. About it. I know I'm getting a little heavy psychology here, but think about it. That That's kind of what's happening is outside of their family group, are there other groups that I'm going to be able to assimilate with? Am, am I going to be able to
0: be part of the group outside of my family? So what does uh, role confusion look like if... If I understand you correctly, when we understand this tension between identity and role confusion, role confusion is kind of like, and we do have some youth who fit into this. Mm -hmm. I don't fit in anywhere. Yeah. Right. If they don't feel that they have an identity or that they can develop identity and connect with people, connect with groups, connect with those things, then they leave that stage having, feeling as though they're going to have a hard time connecting with, combining with, collaborating with other people. And that could lead to some difficulties in their life. If they, for example, I had a mom come up and I've told this a few times in a bunch of presentations, but we had just given this presentation and this mom came up to me after she had tears rolling down her face and she said, I think there's something missing from your presentation. And I said, oh, please help us. What's, what's missing? And she said, you're assuming that everyone who is on the teams that you're talking to are part of the team. And she said, my daughter made the drill team and she was really, really excited to be part of the drill team. My daughter's on the drill team, but she's not part of the drill team. They haven't brought her in. So so here's this girl participating in drill at her high school, but she doesn't feel like she's developing the identity. I'm not part of this team. And if kids are feeling that way, the way this young lady felt, then they're feeling role confusion. They're feeling this, I can't connect. I'm not part. I'm not a valuable part. And so am I understanding that? that tension correctly. Is that exactly what's going on there? And so you're going into, if a coach knows that, what would be your concrete examples to help sports be a tool to develop identity instead of role confusion? And then what are some of those warnings that things we may even do on accident that create role confusion within a youth instead of identity? Mm -hmm. One thing, is as a coach this is my personal opinion
1: even at the high school level that's extremely competitive i i think if you are someone that's coaching in in that arena at this stage in life uh you have to be so conscious of this that you are making choices so that you are adding and promoting this development because when it goes bad it can go very poorly so here's some concrete things i could do uh, i would do um one, uh, if there starts to be a separation of, oh, we're good and, and we're, they're bad and oh, that,
0: that, that talk, I would squash that as a coach as soon as possible. Meaning we team mem- members are the good members of the team and right. you guys are the bad members of the team.
1: That's right. Okay. Like those types of things will negatively impact development in, in a pretty severe way sometimes. So here's what you do. That culture can be built by a coach. Absolutely, it can be built by a coach. Let me tell you some examples I've heard over the years that I really love. <laughs> I know a coach that had, there, there was this, this football team, there was this kid, he was funny, he was quirky, um, and he uh, he didn't play uh, a whole lot. And the coach, literally, it was so cool. He's like, hey, he's our hype man, right? I mean, he like it. kind of became this like endearing thing for the team. But this player led and he validated and he started to, Hey, he can get us pumped up better than anyone else on this team. So after he would give like the speech before the game, he would turn time to the hype man. And and like, he really did see value in it, but, but this young man would come in and he loved being part of the team. And this role made him, the team loved him and he's part of the team. Um, I've seen another coach who uh, had uh, on the football team a lineman that did not play very often. And they had, so they were filming the games and a lot of us have this software We're on an iPad, you can replay right on, on huddle and different things right after. He stands on the sidelines and after a series, he runs over and the coach and the line, they, they're, they're together and he's, advancing play to play so they can see what did we do wrong what and, and he's organizing it the, the coach highlighted the value that that was to the team right there are so, so the player things.
0: was leading that
1: the, the player, player was the one it. that was mm-hmm. that's awesome and so the coach was giving the feedback but the player had it ready I mean in between series you know kind of hey yeah. you know go to the next play okay great thank you go to the next play and so those types of things were of such value to the team. And so I would look at this, especially in a team sport, that a coach has to step back and to say, we must be a team, and and if we're not, then, then I have to fix that, right? Because you see what happens Right. We see in, a, in, in high schools, the fun part of friends could live two miles apart and they have a dividing line and they have different high schools and how much they identify with their high school, with their team. Oh, the, you know, we do this, you do that. But they want to be a part of it from the psychology standpoint. Even if a youth doesn't recognize this. It's their first big dip the toe in the water of can I assimilate with groups outside of my home, right? Think of how much of an impact that has in their future workplace. Can I, can I go into a job? Can I, can I fit in? Not meaning does everyone like me, but can I assimilate?
0: Can I start to be part of this team or group? And make a valuable contribution to it.
1: Not just be it
0: tolerated, right? But, right? but I can go contribute. Yeah, a- absolutely, a- absolutely.
1: I I would if if coaches are uh, attuned to this, I think they can leverage assets for their teams in ways that they've never considered before. Um, you could have students videoing you. You could have students who have a very specific task that they're going to do, and you let them know how valuable it is to you. Not like clean up the equipment type thing, right? But um, I've seen baseball coaches like, hey, watch the other team's signs. Like, just pay attention. I'm going to get involved in the game. I want you to watch their signs. Tell me if you pick up on patterns and be serious about it, Mm -hmm. right? be serious, like value their opinion. I think those coaches that seek to find those ways –
0: are ones that are really building people more than just trying to run games. You know, Sheldon, you and I both had an opportunity to play for Gary Phelps. Mm -hmm. Our high school gym is now named after him, the Phelps Fieldhouse. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but one of the things that he would do, I'm sure you do, Friday nights, we had a game. We would all get together at Coach Phelps' house. We were allowed to bring friends. We would watch the tape. Miss Phelps would make us those fresh squeezed lemonades. We were all part of it. And pepper bellies. But yeah. Yeah. We were karaoke sometimes, you know, and when I remember those, it wasn't, okay, the stars sit here, you know, those who don't play sit here. It was, we were, we were one. And we all felt part of that team. He had a real gift for that. I think of Ernie Johnson in just our last podcast, when he talked about adopting a child from Romania who had muscular dystrophy and a coach came to him and said, I want him to be part of my team because he can teach two things to my team. The first one is maximum effort because it takes maximum effort for him to even move any part of his body. And I want that to be a constant example to my team. And the second one is to live for others. And this kid would always say, I love you too, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he could say very few words and he can, but, but a coach saw in this kid in a wheelchair, a, a kid who can make a huge contribution And if I hear you, a coach who really wants to help kids develop identity instead of inferiority, they will look for what each kid can contribute, what they can contribute. We see this in scout teams, right? Mm -hmm. We hear it coming out of colleges. We have the best scout team quarterback that has prepared us for these games. No one knows the guy's name, you know, but But you can see in that a coach who is recognizing a role, who's helping an athlete have an identity on the team, who's recognizing the valuable contribution they make. Even those guys on the bench, Coach Meacham, who was on with us, a high school basketball coach, used to play for University of Utah. He talked about how sometimes he'll focus the camera on the bench, a camera on the bench, and highlight in film study players who are really awesome at supporting their teammates when they're on the court. All of these things help create identity and help them to feel that they can contribute to whatever whatever system they're part of as they move forward in their life. So, so let me hit you with this. Maybe we've touched on it a little bit, but I'm sure no coach does it on purpose or no parent does it on purpose, but have you seen some things that happen in sports that may contribute more to a feeling of role confusion where they just feel like I don't fit in anywhere. What, what are some ways that sports might help a kid feel that way? And uh, for example, I think of a kid getting cut. Right. I mean, the kid that wears basketball shoes, basketball shorts and a wristband to school right? and like look at the part dribbling a basketball. And then he he goes or she goes and gets cut from their basketball team Um, and coaches. I know that's one of the hardest things they deal with is having to cut kids. So, when we're in those moments where we obviously have kids who don't play as much as other kids and don't get their name in the newspaper or don't even make the team, I think coaches genuinely care about those kids. So, how can they build identity instead of role confusion? how can they handle those different situations that come up in sports in order to do that? For example, taking someone out of a starting lineup or, you know what I'm saying? Like there's some realities of sports that coaches have to do. And I, I wouldn't want to leave this having them feel like, well, you know, like, so now I'm a role confusion creator. Just how can they, what tips do you have that are generally applicable? That would may have been the longest question ever asked on a podcast, but, but take it away. What are some of your thoughts? I would
1: make sure for all parties involved, all parties involved, don't give the good players preferential treatment. That 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 is something that is, is a real blind spot, I think, for coaches. If there's an expectation that something has to be met to play, be consistent with that because it causes a lot of confusion, like, wait, I, I'm doing the things and I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not part of the team, right? And that person still gets, right? That is an area where I think high school coaches uh, could focus. And, and that might mean that your list is a little bit shorter so that you're protecting yourself, that you're not like setting up odd rules that you then don't want to have your stars play. And so that would be one focus that I would do. I, I heard of a story. Now every state would have to check differently if this is even legal within their, because there's different rules, but I, I knew of a coach that did something that was really cool. He did cut a large you know, group of uh, uh, young people. It was a very good high school. They was very good at basketball. They had the gym. They had their games and all that. He continued to do open gym for those that were cut, and he would show up, and they would like scrimmage, and, and he would still give feedback. And then he would pull them in, and, hey, guys, like I just appreciate it. Anyone see our game last week? Like, what could we do better? What are you seeing? I just thought this was such an amazing thing. Again, not an expectation for a coach to do that, but I I love the idea that a coach saw that there was value in that these young men who were cut were still part of this experience. I would give every single player that may be more difficult in large team sports like football, but I would give every single player a unique role that's going to remove something off your plate.
0: And so for um, some, it's going to be obvious, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the unique role of the starting quarterback is being the starting quarterback. So maybe there are those 20 kids at the end of the bench that it might take time to get around with some coaches and some captains and say, okay, mm-hmm. what's their role on this team? What, what is the contribution that they could make and being more intentional about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, why not? Why not? even if you have coaches watching for it, why not take your third string linebacker who understands defense and say, hey, when they're on defense, will you tell me, like, just keep track, where are they blitzing from and on what types of plays? Like, will you, will you, like, just watch, like, in case we miss something. Now, like, think of how valuable that is. If mean, this young man to be 17 years old. Uh, understands the game. shoot, he could be coaching in a high school in a couple of years. They're competent. They, like but all of a sudden they have a role that might be an overlap with of the coach's role. That's okay, right? It, it keeps them engaged. Then the great coaches, I think, they're mentoring in a way that they're not just doing it for the young man or the young woman, but they really find value in it, right that they really are trying to think through what could I have someone do? that is going to help us in a way besides the obvious of making plays on the field and not, Hey, go, you know, just filling up the water jugs or, you know what I mean? Something that now that might be really important, but I'm not talking about just equipment and, and those things. You can really have them be part of the experience that leverages more of the effort that you're trying to put in as a coach. Awesome.
0: That's awesome. I think of one player that that you and I played with that tried really hard, got cut from the baseball team. The coach knew he wanted a role and asked him to come back and and keep score. Mm -hmm. And the kids question this goes to what you're talking about during this stage of development. I will do that. But can I please wear a uniform? Mm -hmm. He wanted the uniform. He wanted to be part of it. And that kind of highlights maybe what's going on in the minds of our youth. They don't need to be the featured player. They don't need to be the star. They just want to feel like a contributing part of something. And when we make an effort to help them be a contributing factor on our team, then we help them develop identity versus role confusion. And there's going to be kids who are super eclectic, right? That try swimming one year and then the next year they're going to try football. And then the next year, I think I'll try tennis. And now, now that didn't work out. I'll try golf. But if at each of those stops, they feel like they're assimilated onto a team, even if they're the last member on that team, they're still developing identity and realizing I can connect with other people. I can make a contribution. Even if my contribution is humor on the bus, we've sure. both played with, <laughs> we've both played with players that didn't play much, but you get on the bus and that's when they shine. Sometimes you got them in trouble, you know, or whatever, but, but that's when these players shine is, just the humor and the lightness that they could bring that is a role on a team. Like that is, that can help them create identity. It doesn't always just have to happen on the court, on the field or whatever. Yeah. Think, have a coach think through
1: this. Does your best player have to lead the stretches? Okay. Probably not. What is the willingness of the person who doesn't play as often? Okay, what would the impact then be if a coach said, "Hey, I've asked so and so; he is going or she is going to lead our warm-up. Um, when they are leading the warm-up, it is as if I'm leading the warm-up. They are in charge." Okay, got it. Yeah, oh, great weight room routines, right? I mean, there there are so many things we just do in sports, and what do we often do is just kind of give it to the best players. They're in charge. Oh, they're the cat. People can lead in a lot of different ways. People can be part in a lot of different ways. You think of how much off-field, off-game activity there is on a team sport. You could have every single person doing something. It's valuable. It takes it off your plate. And that person who might be given an opportunity, who uh, wouldn't, doesn't get as much playing time, probably is going to take that seriously. And if you're serious about it as a coach – It's going to help your team. It's going to relieve something from you as a coach. It's going to help your entire team develop.
0: I I think looking at it that way uh, could be very helpful. That's awesome. Because a lot of times, I mean, in any organization, right, when you have a person who does everything, Mm -hmm. they might be the most competent. But when you have 30 things that you're doing, um, you can only give one thirtieth effort to that thing, right? Because you have so many other things. Whereas someone who maybe doesn't have the same capacity as another individual, but could put their whole heart and soul into, into one item, they'll they'll do it better. They'll do it more thorough. They'll do it more enthusiastically than someone who's who's divided 30 different ways. And so you might even increase the effectiveness of everything that you're doing in addition to giving an athlete an identity on your team and, and using sport sports as a tool to help them in that stage of development. So Sheldon, thank you. Thank you. That was super, super helpful. And I love this idea of sports being a tool to help our children develop. And I am passionate, as I know you are, and many who listen to this, and, and Dustin, my partner, we, just thinking through this and thinking, how can sports help others develop? How can it be a tool so that when kids emerge from these youth and high school sports, and most of them, it's, it's done at that point, but it will have helped them and in these two cases that you've talked about, it, it will help them feel industrious and like they can have an identity in this world. If we use sports in those ways, it can help them emerge from these turbulent years with, with this feeling of being industrious and, and uh, having an identity. And, and so thank you for helping us learn that and learn what we could do. Any final thoughts that you have?
1: No I would say what an amazing thing if we started to recognize that sports is a tool to make this world a better place not just for those who are really great at sports.
0: That's a fun concept I think we could get behind. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well Sheldon thank you so much for joining oh. us again and Thanks to everyone for joining us on the Sportlight Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe, to rate it, to let us know what you think, share some thoughts on whatever platform you're listening or watching this podcast on. And also, if you would like us to come and visit your city or your club or your team or school, please contact us. Get in contact with us, and we'll come out, and we would love to do some training with your coaches, with your athletes. With anyone who will listen to us because we're passionate about sports being used as a tool to help all children aid in their development. And and so Sheldon, thanks again, and thank Welcome. you for joining the SportLight Podcast. Hope you have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks, Shed.
1: This has been the SportLight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at EspeciallyforAthletes.org. You can also learn more about the book The Sport Light by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforathletes.org slash book.